As we prepare to hear God's word, let's again go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we are grateful for your gracious hospitality. Thank you for welcoming us into your presence. And thank you for speaking to us through your word, through the scriptures. Lord, we pray that today you remove any barriers that get between us and you. Take away any, anything that's distracting us, anything that, uh, that just gets in the way of us hearing what you have to say. Lord, we pray that you help us to hear your scriptures clearly. Help us to be encouraged, strengthened, renewed, and brought closer to you through this time. Amen. We're in the midst of a series on the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. We're calling this series The Big Reveal. And right now we're in Revelation 2 and 3 and working through the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, which are really seven letters addressed to the whole church. If you were here last week, you might remember that last week, well, last week's letter had some hard words for us as a church. It really pushed us. Are we awake or are we asleep? Are we living in the new life that Christ has given us or are we still dead or dead again in our sins? Are we alive in Christ or not? Well, the letter that we'll read this week has a very different tone. It's, it's much kinder. It's much more encouraging. It's much more positive. So let's read now the letter to the church in Philadelphia and the letter to us here today. We'll read Revelation 3, 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews though they are not but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write also write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. So this is a very positive letter, but it's also one that jumps around a little bit. Most of the letters follow a very specific sequence. They work through A, B, C, D, E. This letter sort of goes A, M, B, R, Z, F. So we're, instead of just working through the text verse by verse, we're going to reflect on some background themes in Philadelphia and then how Christ addresses those challenges or those, those themes. So let's start by talking a little bit about the city of Philadelphia, where this church is located. And Christ calls this a church of little strength, and really it's a city of little strength too. Philadelphia was founded by a couple of brothers, and thus it's called Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. 
And it was founded in an area where there were lots of volcanoes, which, which had created this wonderful soil for growing grapes. And, and so vineyards abounded there. And Philadelphia was originally built as a city to bring, well, bring Greek and then Roman culture to the area. It was intended to be, to be a gateway for Greek culture to spread into Asia Minor, where these seven churches in the book of Revelation are located. But one of the challenges of being in an area where there's lots of volcanoes is that there's a lot of tectonic instability. There are lots of earthquakes. And in AD 17, there was this massive earthquake in the Greco-Roman world. People said it was the greatest they'd ever experienced, and Philadelphia was right at the epicenter. And so this city that was, that was built to be a gateway into culture and that was prosperous economically and really thriving, well, this earthquake destroyed the city. Natural disaster. And the city, well, it didn't just have one earthquake, but it had tremor after tremor after tremor. And so the city walls were always cracking and breaking apart. Buildings were always falling down. There was this perpetual need to rebuild. And people got used to, at the drop of a hat, having to run out of doors because the only place you could be safe was outside of structures. And so more and more people moved away from the city center and out to villages because well, because you don't want a three-story building or you don't want your neighbor's house falling on your head. And so people spread out more and more and the city grows smaller and smaller. And these days, you know, in our culture where we have so much, so much science in our favor, so much development, we like to think that we can control the world. But the last couple years have, well, have showed us that nature still has some tricks up its sleeve, doesn't it? We are still struck by natural disasters, by, by plagues, and by all kinds of trouble. We are so often a, a people, a church of little strength when nature strikes. Now, after the earthquake struck, the emperor gave Philadelphia a five-year tax break. Nobody there had to pay any taxes to the empire for five years so they could rebuild. So Philadelphia became a city that was really positive about the empire. They actually renamed themselves twice. Once they renamed themselves Neo-Caesarea, the new town of Caesar, because Caesar had, had given them tax breaks so they could rebuild. And then a few years later, they renamed themselves Flavia after the family name of a number of Roman emperors. They loved the emperors, and the emperors were very supportive. But then just a few years before the book of Revelation was written, the emperor came along and he gave Philadelphia another death blow. This volcanic soil was really good for growing grapes. But the emperor decreed that half the vines in the province, half of the vineyards had to be leveled to the ground with roots, everything gone, never to come back. So now not only are we looking at a natural disaster, but we're looking at political betrayal that leads to, to economic ruin. This was the people's livelihood and they were being told to destroy it. And that edict was enforced by imperial power. And some people think this was because the emperor was on a power trip and he wanted to support his local Roman and Italian vine growers rather than, rather than these ones off in the province of Asia. Other people look at famines around that time and think that the point was to grow less vines for wine and more corn for food. But the thing is, volcanic soil, while it's really good for vines, is really awful for corn. So the people of Philadelphia couldn't actually grow anything after they destroyed half of their vines. Now for us the last couple of years, 
for us the last couple years, we've, we've heard about from, well, in Pastor Dave's prayer and Lambert's report about some things in Berwyn and Cicero, we have heard about how the world is troubled. And I think all of us in one way or another, and perhaps you might even disagree on what way, but in one way or another, we feel like the last while has just been rough politically and economically. We do not have the strength we wish to have to, to prevent wars, to keep nations from fighting, to, to keep people, well, to keep people fed and housed and clothed. We just don't have it. Now, out of that situation in Philadelphia, and that's all, that's all not unique to the church, that's the whole city. But there's this church in Philadelphia, and the people, well, with all their struggles, with all their struggles, they had come to Jesus, and they had thought that maybe, maybe they could rebuild their lives. Maybe they could get it all together. But then this church experiences, a, well, a religious disaster. They had joined with the synagogue initially. This was a, a very, very Jewish city. And these Christians had come and said, well, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, right? This is the fulfillment of the Torah, of the Old Testament. This is everything we could possibly want. Let's celebrate. And over time, the, the majority of the Jewish population there had, had pushed the Christians out, had said, no, you do not belong. Get out. You are not one of us. And so this church in this small, struggling city was a small, struggling church. They were living in wreckage, literally and figuratively. Their city kept falling apart, their economy was in ruins, and they had even been rejected by people who they thought should be their brothers and sisters in the faith. This was a church of little strength. I think it's worth asking ourselves as we gather today, do we feel like a church, a people of, of great strength, or do we, feel, do we feel a bit weak and powerless? When we look at the world, when we look at the government, when we look at politics, when we look at the economy, and even when we look at the spiritual forces out there and, and the current sense of where the world is going and how it is going there, I think often we feel weak and overwhelmed. We might feel just like that church in Philadelphia, a church of little strength. You know, and sometimes, sometimes Jesus comes to these churches in the book of Revelation and, and he wants to shake them out of their complacency. He wants to shake them up and, and tell them to wake up and to follow him. He wants to take people who are comfortable and make them uncomfortable. But then in this letter and, and one or two of the other letters, Jesus comes to people who are who are shaken, who are living in wreckage. And instead of adding burdens to them, Jesus simply praises them for being a church holding on to Jesus Christ. Sometimes Jesus comes and says, do more and be more and wake up. But here Jesus comes to his church, this church of little strength, and he just graciously says, hold on. That's all you have to do. Just keep holding on. Just be faithful. Just hold the line. And maybe that's the message that we need to hear today. Just be faithful. Just hold on. But then the majority of this letter is not about, not about the background of the city or the church and, and not about what the church is supposed to do, but about what Jesus does. 
And what this letter really wants us to do is to look to the Christ of great strength. Jesus promises that he is in the corner of this church, that he will take care of them. And then he he gives some different images, and they're they're mixed up all through the letter, so we aren't going to work through the letter verse by verse again, but we're going to see three key images that the Lord gives us to undo the disaster and the betrayal and the rejection that this church would have experienced. And we're going to start by talking about how the Christ of great strength opens the door to the Lord. Early on in this letter, Jesus says that what he shuts, no one can open, and what, what he opens, no one can shut. This church in Philadelphia has had doors slammed in their faces. They had probably been officially excommunicated from the Jewish synagogue, literally chased out with the door locked, out at, locked after them and told, you have no access to God here. You are out, and you will stay out for eternity. And in that spiritual background, as they, as they look at what seems like spiritual wreckage, Jesus comes to them and he says, I have put before you an open door that no one can shut. What I have opened, what I have opened, the access I have given you to the Lord, no one can take away. Jesus himself guarantees our access to God. And that's still a promise for us today that when, when others attack us, Jesus will undo those attacks. Jesus even goes so far here as to say those who are of the synagogue, those who have thrown you out, someday they will come and they will kneel before you and they will confess that you are my beloved. That will happen, promises Jesus. Your enemies will have to acknowledge that I am Lord and that I love you. Now there's some debate over over in this passage when Jesus says that he will keep his people from trials, whether he'll keep them from trials or whether he'll keep them through trials. And I think the better argument is that Jesus will keep people through trials. This promise of the open door is not a promise that, that anytime we like, we can just step out of our troubles and, and we won't have any hardship in this life. That is not what the Lord promises what he does promise is that he will walk with us and that we will never lose our access to the Father. So I would invite you to reflect today. We think about how Jesus has opened this door that no one can shut. How are you perhaps experiencing that there is a barrier or a wall between you and God? Maybe there is some sin in your life, some weakness, some lack that you feel like disqualifies you from being in God's presence. Maybe you get it intellectually, but at the heart level, you've just never really felt like you belong to the Lord. Maybe you have so many questions and doubts and you feel like you, you just can't, can't get into God's presence because there's all this other stuff in the way. Maybe in your own life, there is some hardship, some way that the world or another person or even the church hurts you and you... You feel like you just can't get past that wall to God. Well, I think it's completely valid to feel that way because our lives are hard and there are, there are lots of things we need to wrestle through and I don't want to undercut that wrestling. But brothers and sisters, the reality is none of those are truly barriers between you and the Lord. There is nothing in your life. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing that can be done to you. There is no question you can have. There is no uncertainty you can have that actually creates a barrier between you and the Lord because Christ has done his 
work. Christ has opened the door to the Father, and there is no one who can shut it. Not for you, not for me, not for any of us. If Christ has opened that door, then it is open now and forever. So the second image we'll talk about today is is the key of power. The Christ of great strength, he holds the key of true power. And there's a very explicit reference to Isaiah chapter 22 here. So if you, if you want more background, you can go later and read Isaiah 22. But the story there is that there is this gatekeeper in the, in the house of God in Jerusalem. There is a gatekeeper whose, whose power is second only to the king. His name is Shebna, and he is corrupt and he is vicious. And he is running the city for his own ends, for his own gain, and he is preventing Well, he's preventing people from getting to the king, and he's terribly abusing his power. And the Lord comes in Isaiah 22, and and with language that is echoed pretty much word for word here in Revelation, he says, he says, I'm getting a new gatekeeper. And this new gatekeeper will have the key of David. And this is, this is not a small key like we have. This is something that's so huge, you'd, you'd probably have to carry it over your shoulder. And everybody would know that you had the one key to the city of David. And this one will come, and with his power, with his power, he grants you access to the Lord. And because he is faithful and true, he will not betray you. The emperor... The emperor might play nice for a while, but eventually he will destroy your economy. You might like the president you have, but he's not going to last forever, and and you probably aren't going to like everything he does. Any human that you put your trust in, any, any power that you grant to somebody is likely to be abused. But this text tells us that Jesus comes as the eternal gatekeeper to the eternal king, and he will always be faithful. And he identifies himself so much with us and he identifies us so much with him that what's good for him is good for us and vice versa. And so we can trust that Jesus always has our best interests at heart. And so he promises, and you might have noticed toward the end of this passage, there's this repetition of that phrase, my God, my God, my God, and and the idea of a name. And I will write the name of my God on this person who believes in me and who overcomes. And and again and again and again, Jesus says that. And he talks about this heavenly Jerusalem, this new city. And the people in Philadelphia would probably have heard that new city as, as an opposite, as a fulfillment of their own broken and, and failing city. No, this is a city that will last forever. This is a city where the ruler will always take care of you. This is a city where the one in power uses it for our good. Have you ever been disappointed by a political leader? I'm going to guess so. Have you ever ever been discouraged by how the world is going? I'm going to guess so. But in Jesus Christ, we are assured that the Lord is on our side. That the Lord will work things out and will bring us into a new heavens and a new earth where there will be a new Jerusalem, a city where things are truly made right. Now you might at some point in your life or even today have felt betrayed by the Lord. You might have felt like there was something that you thought was totally reasonable that made sense that, that should happen or like there was something that should not happen because it was just out of bounds and unhelpful 
And yet all of us in our lives have those moments where things just go sideways. What Revelation promises us and what Jesus promises us here is that he is still in control and that he is still working for our good even if we can't see it right now. The third and last image. The Christ of great strengths makes us pillars in God's presence. Jesus comes to the city with a history of earthquakes, of buildings falling down, of the city walls falling apart, and, and he promises to make his people into pillars. So I have some empty boxes up here that I've knocked down a couple times, and those pillars aren't worth much, right? They're here for a day. Any of you could come up here and pull them to pieces if you wanted. And that is the best that the world can give us. Temporary little bits that, that don't last. But Jesus promises to make us pillars in his temple. If we update the language a little bit, columns in his church. And if you look around you today, if you look at the sanctuary, we have these beams, we have these columns, we have these pillars. And none of us by ourselves could shake those at all. We could all take a turn having a go at one of these columns and, and nothing would happen. They have been standing for decades. They will stand for decades. And that is what Jesus promises to make of us. His promises do not fade and fall. They are good forever, and they, they give us a kind of stability and a kind of power beyond human capacity. Jesus comes to us with this kind of promise. He, he comes to this church of little strength, and he says, I will make you strong forever. And when he talks about the temple here, that is, that is a sign for God's presence, not the literal temple in Jerusalem or wherever, but but the eternal presence of the Lord. And what Jesus is saying is, if you belong to me, I will bring you into God's presence and I will, I will get you set and founded and I will hold you up forever and ever. Think of what these columns in this sanctuary have seen over the years. The prayers, the praises, the sermons, the, the times where we gather to say goodbye to loved ones and to affirm that God does hold on to us. There are so many ways, week after week, year after year, that, that the Lord has built up and continues to build up his church. And so if you feel like you're shaking these days, if you feel like nothing is stable, like everything is falling apart, if, if you feel like you're looking around and all you see is level upon level of wreckage, push past the appearance and receive this promise from the Lord that he is making you a pillar in the temple of God. The world is a mess on every level. But Jesus opens a door to the Father that no one can shut. And Jesus comes to us with the key of authority and guarantees us access to the Lord and, and his faithful presence. And the Lord promises that he will build each one of us Build each one of us into the Lord's presence in such a way that he will never leave or forsake us, but such that we will spend an eternity praising him and, and becoming more and more rooted and more and more built up in him. If you have an ear to hear today, hear this encouragement. The Lord holds on to us now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.
And Father, we pray again that if there are any barriers that, that seem to be coming between you and us, that you break them down and break them apart. Father, we ask that you soften our hearts, that you sharpen our minds, that, that you change and transform us, and that you do build us all together to be a temple full of your presence and worthy of your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.